Good morning. <laughs> I brought this up because I think for this message I need a stiff drink. It's just iced tea, really. No big deal. Um, I wanted to, uh, to just say how much I appreciated uh, the fact that this church is really involved in Operation Christmas Child. Uh, it's something my wife and I have been doing for a long time. Um, years and years ago, we launched a ministry at Mansfield Middle School, and we did this every year with, with the kids. And I remember this one year, this one kid um, named Gianni, he, he, didn't, he was in fifth grade, and he didn't really understand why we were doing the Operation Christmas Child. And, and we talked about, you know, if, if you could spend $5 and buy, you know, some little toys or something for, for some kid. And he's like, but if I had $5, I'd want to buy something for myself. And I was like, I got it, but, but here you have a lot of things, Gianni, and here are kids around the world who have nothing, and you have a chance. And it was neat. He, he was thinking about, well, I don't really have $5. I'm like, well, maybe you could do some work around the house besides your normal chores, and maybe your parents could pay you or something. I'm sure there's a way. And so anyway, he ended up coming up with, um, uh, with not just the money, but he ended up, he and his mom put a box together, and, and he was actually super excited at the end of it. And it was neat to see him really think about because we when we got back together and he had filled out the box, he said, you know, it really occurred to me that I really do have a lot. I was looking around my room and I have a lot of things. And I thought, some kids really don't have any of this stuff. And it really kind of hit him for the first time to be thinking of somebody else. Um, and that was really gratifying to me. That's part of the reason why we did it is to help expand these kids' thought process beyond just themselves, you know. Um, last winter, my wife got an op awesome opportunity. Um, Athletes in Action is a partner organization with Samaritan's Purse, who does Operation Christmas Child, and every year they bring people from their partner organizations with them around the world to do the distribution of the boxes, and Diane got to represent Athletes in Action International, um, on behalf of, of AIA to Operation Christmas Child. So she went down to Mexico last February and actually was involved in distributing uh, these shoe boxes to kids. It was just an unbelievable experience to see the look on these kids' faces and the whole communities coming together. So anyway, I know nobody here has had that opportunity to be on the distributing end of it, but I can tell you, with my wife having gone, it is just a powerful thing. So thanks so much for, for doing that. It really means a lot to the kids who are getting this. Um, so yeah, so we're talking about the seven deadly sins, and um, I was really grateful for Ryan to give me the opportunity to speak on this one. Um, it's, always, it's, always, it's, always, it's always fun to talk about things that are, that are challenging, things that are um, you know, kicking our butt left and right, you know, things that make us feel guilty, things that weigh us down. You know? um, so this is gonna be great. Um, so let me, let me pray. <laughs> And we'll get into it. All right, Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks that we get a chance to talk real about uh, just an issue that is, you know, we got to talk about, Lord. And so I pray that you would guide our conversation this morning and help it to be fruitful and um, help it to be helpful in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, PG-13. Um, I remember years ago um, when I was working on staff with crew at Syracuse University, our campus director put together a program for RAs in the residence halls. And it was on the topic of pornography. And, you know, very important topic. And at that point in time, ABC, uh, I think 2020, had come out with a, they did a whole story on the impact of pornography. And it was kind of crazy because the, the, uh, the 2020 episode 
like part of what they discussed was like the visual images and magazines and things. And so they actually showed, like they covered up just enough, but they, they showed like basically images that you would find in pornographic magazines and, and they talked about it. And so our director incorporated that into the, into the, um, into the program. And I, I remember he showed it to us as a staff team. I'm thinking, he's showing us pornographic images, you know, and I'm like, wow. So it's, um, yeah, this is not a topic that is new to this generation. This is a topic, obviously, that has been around for a really, really long time. The Bible has a lot to say about it, and it wouldn't if it wasn't something that people have always struggled with. Um, in, in some ways, I don't want to say it's good. This is not the way I want to phrase it, but let's face it. I mean, humans are sexual creatures. If we weren't, none of us would be here. You know, um, you know 4,000 years ago, we had some ancestors that had the hots for each other, and, you know, and as a result, our lineage continued, right? I mean, so it's a good thing, right? It's a really good thing that humans are sexual creatures. And so what we're talking about today is, has nothing to do with that, really. This is not in any way to paint a picture that a, a human sex drive is a bad thing. It's a really, really good thing. You know, when, when God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, he had something in mind, right? And so um, we're designed this way. So there's, there's nothing wrong with, with a, even a strong human sex drive, okay? That's, the human race continues as a result of that. So, so I'm not saying anything negative about that. But it's clear that God designed the human sex drive to be expressed in certain ways. Uh, in particular, in the context of a marriage, a husband-wife marriage. Um, so when, Adam, when he told Adam to be fruitful and multiply, it wasn't just do anything you want with that. Um, it was in the context of the covenant that he gave in, in um, Genesis 2.24. You know, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So that's, that's the idea. Um, so there's lots of ways that that can be, that that can be um, expressed in an unhealthy way, right? Outside of that covenant of marriage, right? We see it all the time. And so I want to make sure we distinguish here this morning between um, what we would call sexual immorality and lust, okay? So this, the sin we're talking about, the seven deadly sins here is, is lust, not sexual immorality per se. Those are not the same thing. Sexual immorality is a way in which lust is expressed and manifested, but it's not lust itself, okay? I want to make sure that we're clear on that. So we, we could spend... We could talk forever about um, adultery and fornication and all these other biblical terms that happen and, and um, having sex outside of marriage. And that would be a great topic for Ryan to spend weeks talking about. <laughs> but, but, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the very narrowly defined issue of, of lust. So let me define it uh, from the dictionary for you. Um, from the dictionary, lust is defined as uncontrolled or illicit sexual desire or appetite, or passionate or overmastering desire or craving. And I like the way that's put, overmastering. It's like, in other words, there's, there's desire, and then there's lust. You know, desire is one thing. Lust is another thing altogether. And it's, there's, a, there's a line there. There's a fine line, right? Where does it cross over? And I, you know, to be honest, I'm not really sure exactly, but there is a point at which which you go from desire to lust. Um, in the Greek, um, in the Bible, the word for lust is epithumia, and it means craving, 
longing for that which is forbidden. So again, we see this longing, this craving. It's, it's more than just a want. Okay, it's more than just a desire. So I, I want to kind of distinguish lust from desire here from James 1, 14 through 15, which says this, but each one is tempted, each one of us is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So there's a desire and that leads to temptation. But it says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So a desire itself is not necessarily sinful. But, it, but desire can trigger something greater than that. And when it, it can turn into a lust that, that needs to be played out, and that's where it becomes sin. So I don't want you to walk away thinking, oh, if I, if I see a pretty lady and... Um, I think, wow, you know, that would be nice. Like, that, that inherently is not necessarily a sinful like, sin, okay? It, it could, that there's a desire there, but it could turn quickly into lust, and that's where we need to immediately check ourselves and think, okay, where's this going, all right? Because it, it makes it clear that having a desire is not itself sin, but desire can, you know, we can be tempted by that desire, and that can lead to sin. Does that make sense? Okay, I, we don't need to... You know, every time you have a desire, you know, I'm not saying we need to, like, super examine it, stop everything, you know, and, and, and figure out where the line is. But I just want to make it clear that because we are sexual creatures, we're going to have sexual desires. And it's not, it, and it's not just about sex. We'll talk about this in a second. But um, we desire lots of things. And having, it, having the, des the initial desire itself isn't necessarily wrong. We, otherwise, we'd be in sin constantly, like, because we're, we constantly want things. Um, Let's see. So desire means to wish for, to want. Um, and we see that desire is a want, while lust is this uncontrolled um, or illicit craving, often or usually for something that's forbidden, um, and often of a sexual nature. Okay. So that's what lust is. That's how we distinguish it from sexual immorality, and we distinguish it from desire. Where does it come from? Where does lust come from? Galatians 5.16 says... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the lusts of the flesh. Ephesians 2, 13, uh, 2, 3 says, Among them, too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So lust is not something that exists out there. Lust is something that exists in here. Okay? Lust is not a problem with the world. Lust is a problem with me. Okay? It's, it's, it's an internal issue that we struggle with. Its root is bound up in a sinful heart. Okay? So when we're talking about all these sins, we're talking about really issues of the heart. Um, obviously, lust can be observed in outward behavior of various sorts. Right? There's lots of ways that lust gets manifested in our lives. Lots of ways. Um, we can talk about a million of those. But the reality is that lust itself is an internal issue that reflects a sinful heart. It's, it's born out of a sinful heart. Kind of to emphasize this point, if you think about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in, in Matthew 5, um, he he's tells the, the folks who are listening, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses or exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds or surpasses that of the Pharisees. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, the Pharisees, you may recall, 
were the religious leaders of the day, and they held to a very, very strict standard of the law. Like, like they held it very firmly. Like, if the speed limit says 25, they were not going 26. In fact, they were probably going 20, not even 25, because to get close to 25 might put you in danger. So they would hold, they would hold that even, even tighter, right? They would never jaywalk. They didn't really have that issue then, but you know, they wouldn't have jaywalked, right, if they were around today. Um, you know, they, they, they would recycle everything properly. You know, like all those things, right? They, they would hold every single law exactly. So you think to yourself, well, how, how can a person be more righteous than the folks who held the law in explicit detail? How can you be more righteous than that? Well, Jesus goes on in Matthew 5 to give six examples of what it would look like. And each time he says, you have heard that it was said, and then he quotes the Old Testament, and then he says, but I say to you this. And each time he goes from talking about an activity or an action that is forbidden in the Old Testament to bringing it into a heart issue. And so here's an example um, related to the topic we're talking about. In Matthew 5, 27 through 29, Jesus said this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So there's the sexual, sexually immoral act that the law forbids. The Pharisees upheld that. I'm sure, I'm sure they didn't all uphold that. But for the most part, they did. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus says, look, the law says you, you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. But the reality is, folks, that if you are... are lusting after someone who is not your spouse, you, you, are, you are committing adultery in your heart. So Jesus always takes the law and he brings it into a heart issue. So lust is an issue um, with the heart that expresses itself um, outwardly. You know, it, but it's not just, it's not, we're going to talk about the, the sexual side of it, but what are some other things that you can lust for? Here's your time to participate. What are some other things that humans can lust for besides the sexual category? Money. Money. Power. Power. I'm sorry? Shoes. Shoes. <laughs> Imelda Marcos with her 8 million pairs of shoes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, shoes. Are you speaking from personal experience on that one? No. <laughs> right, right. Material things. Right? I mean, the Ten Commandments talks about do not covet what? Your neighbor's wife, but what else? Your neighbor's goods, your, your neighbor's oxen, you know, whatever. Like, don't, don't cover your neighbor's things. Like, I, I, I tend not to lust after material things, but every now and then I see a car that I look at, and I'm just like, oh, man, like, that would be. I, so my, one of my good friends from college just posted yesterday a picture of his new car. He bought a Tesla. And I was like, what? You know, you bought a Tesla. He's like, yeah, the tax breaks made it worth it. I'm like, wait a minute. They said it made it comparable to, I'm like, wait, that's not comparable to like a Honda Accord. Like you're talking about comparable to like, what, like a Ferrari or something like that. You know, it's like, okay. So I was looking at that because a couple years ago, I might have been last year, um, my family and I were in Boston and we, walked, we were walking down the street and we passed a dealership and they, were, they had a Tesla out there. And I got to sit in it and I was like, oh my goodness, this thing's unbelievable. So now that my friend has it, I'm like, hmm, okay. So this just happened last night. So I'm like, I'm not lusting after the car. I'm not lusting after the car. But, but we can do that, right? You know, our friend gets a, gets a new TV. or new, I mean, whatever it happens to be, a job, we can lust after a position, right? 
So there's lots of things that we can lust after, and, and what ends up happening oftentimes is that lust gets manifested into immoral or even illegal actions. Right? It's not illegal to have an affair. It's certainly immoral, but it's not illegal. But lots of times, in order to satisfy a lust for material things, people will do illegal things to get the money, to, to get those things. I mean, they'll steal, right? They'll commit fraud. They'll launder money. They'll do any sort of million things to, to gain the thing that they are just so hungry for that they can't let go, right? So lust is not just about the sexual category. Lust can look a million different ways, right? And so I want us to be careful about that. Like when you have a desire for something, you know, one of the most common ones is a, is a position. You know, uh, like I want that job. Okay, it's fine to want the job, but like how badly do you want the job? Like do you want it so badly that you're willing to step on people to get it? You know, like how badly do you want it? Are you, how, do you want it so badly that you're just devastated if you don't get it? Well, Maybe the, the desire has turned into some form of what could be called lusting for that. So we have to remember that it's not just in the sexual area that lust can be a very, very real thing. I, I can't help, and I know this is me being judgmental, so this is not a good thing, but I can't help but think that certain politicians who, who are, seem desperate for um, the presidency or you know, some other political position, I, it, it just feels to me like they are so consumed by it that they will not rest until they get it. And I'm just like, it's fine to have a goal that you're shooting for, but my goodness, it seems like it's, they'll do anything, they'll destroy anybody in their path to get there. You know what I mean? They'll say anything, do anything, and I'm like, that can't be good. You know, that can't be a good thing. So maybe they're not, but it sure feels like it to me. And I get that that's me being judgmental, which is a whole other topic, I guess. Um, so, which we're not gonna discuss today. Um, okay, I want to talk about a very specific form of lust, or a very specific way that lust can get expressed. I mentioned it earlier, um, but we've talked about a little bit about in the sexual area about um, like sexual immorality and you know committing adultery, right? And so we often think of the kind of lust that leads to engagement with other people, okay, where you're where you're involved in an immoral activity with another person that clearly affects another person. But what about, what about um, like gratifying your lust in a way that feels like you're doing it, look, I'm the only one involved in this. Right? I'm not hurting anybody else, it's just, it's just me, so it's no big deal. And the issue I'm talking about is, is pornography. Now, I wanna give you a, um, a, a few a few stats that are, that are kind of mind-blowing about pornography. All right. Each month, porn sites receive more traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. 35% of all internet downloads are porn-related. 64% of young people ages 13 to 24 actively seek out porn every week. Teenage girls and young women are significantly more likely to seek out porn than women 25 or older. In other words, this is, this is, not, this is not just a guy thing. Uh, this is important to understand. Pornography use is on the rise. It's everywhere. It's especially pervasive among young people. And it's not restricted or confined to the unbelieving population out there. Okay, 68% of men and 50% of pastors 
view porn on a regular basis. Right? That's like, wow. Okay? Um, of Christians adults, of Christian adults ages 24, 18 through 24, 76% actively search for porn. And I, again, it's not just men. 33% of women aged 25 and under actively search for porn. 87% of Christian women, 87% of Christian women admit to having watched porn in some capacity. I mean, we're talking like just about everybody, right, has dealt with this in some capacity. Ryan will remember this. We, we chatted a little bit about it a number of years ago. I guess you were a student or you were on staff with us. I don't remember when it was. But, but there was a program that came to UConn. Uh, a guy named Michael Leahy, who really works in this area tremendously, um, came to do a, a program with a guy named Ron Jeremy, who was, uh, I, hate, I hate even using this word, like a porn star. Like, I hate... I hate even phrasing it that way, but I don't know how else to. He was involved in the, he was a big time player in the adult entertainment industry, I guess. And um, they, did a, they did a program where each of them got to share kind of their experience. And Ron was, of course, um, a proponent of pornography. Um, and Michael was like, no, this is really dangerous. It's almost ruined my marriage. And, and Jorgensen Auditorium was packed. And what was amazing was that here you got all these UConn students. They did not give Michael Leahy a good reception. You know, it's like, here's a guy trying to help you with this, and he, did, he was not received well, and Ron Jeremy, the porn star, was wildly cheered, and the audience had 50% women in it, and it was like, what? You know what I mean? Like, what is going on? Years ago, when I was a student um, at Syracuse, the, uh, there was almost like a weird alliance that existed between conservative evangelical believers and super liberal feminist leaders. The feminists and the Christians were all on the same page. And you say, well, what were they on the same page about? About the issue of pornography. For Christians, for reasons we've just been talking about, um, were opposed to pornography. But for feminists, they viewed it as, this is, this is certainly an abuse of women. This is certainly not healthy for women. This is... Uh, this objectifies women, this, this puts women in a really bad place, you know, so we're opposed to it on those grounds. And so Christians and feminists fought together against pornography in the 80s. And yet, here at UConn, not that long ago, you had a huge number of women, huge percentage of women, cheering for the porn star. And it's just like, what is, ha what is happening here? So it, often this is viewed as just a, as a guy's issue, and that is not true at all. This is, this is common among men and women. Um, it, it proves that, that porn is everywhere. The opportunity to, to engage and indulge the sin of lust is just is right there. It's right here. And that's the crazy thing. So when I was a kid, and you know, some of you are old enough to, to be in, in this, these shoes, but when I was a kid, if I don't mean like a five-year-old, like when I was a teenager, right, if, or, you know, even in college, like if I wanted to, if I wanted to get my hands on some pornography, either a video or a magazine, I would, I had to, I had to leave my house, I had to go to a video store, remember those, those things that used to exist, like I had to go to a, a bookstore and go to the magazine rack, and I had to put myself out there, right, and hope that nobody was in the store, and bring it up to the counter, and hope my Kindergarten teacher didn't walk in and, you know, hey, John, what you got there? You know, well, she's got Bambi, I've got, you know, 
Debbie Does Dallas or something, right? And it's like, it's like uh, nothing. You know, I mean, in other words, it was a major, major risk, right, to, to go acquire something. You had, to, you had to be brave. You had to be courageous. You had to step out and take a huge risk. And that alone was a major deterrent, right? It, it, it served as a blockade that, that if I, I had to be really in a certain mindset to overcome that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was not easy to do that. And so it served as a natural, like the shame or whatever, if that's the word we want to use, like, like the fear of being caught what served as a great big fat barrier to engaging in it. There is, there is literally no barrier today at all. At all. Nothing. There is no barrier to people getting their hands on pornography. The average age of the first glance at pornography these days is like preteen. It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. You know, we've got eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds who are given their own iPhones, and there's no check and balance on that, and they can look at anything they want in the world. It is unbelievable what's out there. Um, the, 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 the power of a lustful desire combined with the universal, basically omnipresence of, of pornography is, is just a terrible combustible mix. Okay? Um, and and, that, and that's, a <laughs> that's a problem, right? As parents, you know, our kids are now in college and out, and it's like, okay, you know, we're kind of past the age where, you know, I'm not checking with them about these things. But at home, we have had to put barriers and restrictions on the internet, and, you know, it's been a hard struggle, right, trying to figure out how in the world do you, do you help your kids with this. But what about us? Like, what kind of barriers do we put in our own lives for this sort of thing? Um, it, it's just scary that we have access to this at any point in time, anywhere we want, in any form we want, for nothing. It's really amazing. Um, just, some more, just some more thoughts on this, because a lot of times we think that, that it's, it's not a, again, we're not really impacting anybody else, right? It's just, it's just me looking at something. Well, there's problems looking at it yourself. Like, the impact on yourself is bad enough. So let's talk about that. Porn triggers addiction. Right? There's the part of our brain where dopamine is released. It's like it's, it triggers addiction like alcohol and drugs. So the more you look at porn, the more you want to look at porn. And the more you want to look at more extreme forms of porn. People engaged in adulterous affairs are 300 times more likely to have been involved in porn than people who don't have affairs. There is a very real connection between watching porn and engaging in it in real life. People who consume porn are much less likely to engage in real life sex, which is a very interesting thing. In other words, the imaginary world, the fantasy world, is so powerful that the real thing with a woman who doesn't quite look like a porn star it can actually be a letdown. And that is just, we are killing ourselves sexually because we're engaged in indulging our lustful thoughts in the area of porn. I mean, that's amazing, right? That's amazing. So that, that's the effect on, on the people who, who watch it. 
the people who, who you know, are around us also get in, influenced in this way. First of all, porn sends women a message that this is how you're supposed to look. This is how you're supposed to behave. And so men get these expectations that their women should be like that, or that not just their women, but that women should be like that. Women get the sense that this is what men want, so women need to be like that. And if you're not like that, man, that feeds into all kinds of um, negative thoughts about, about yourself. So that's not, that's not healthy. Um, one, Christian, one non-Christian blogger put it this way. He said, porn satisfies lust, not love. So it doesn't, it doesn't in, engender a loving relationship. It engenders um, satisfaction of, of lust. Uh, porn teaches men to be aggressive sexually, and we see a rise in sexual assault. I don't think those things are disconnected. Um, and I want you to think about this. Now we're talking like bigger picture, but I want you to think about the porn industry itself. It is nearly a $100 billion industry a year. $100 billion, okay? We talked about the traffic that it generates online. It's, it's unbelievable. Think about the supply, uh, the, the law of supply and demand. Right? If there is a huge demand for something, guess what's going to happen? Someone's going to find a way to supply it. Right? Anything. It doesn't matter what it is. If, if people have this incredible desire to view and engage in pornography, somebody's going to fill that. That's why we see porn like all over the place. Right? We see it all over the place. But in order for porn to exist... There not only needs to be people who organize it and who make money off it and who you know, are the presidents of companies or whatever, they need to have the people who are going to engage in the sexual activity that people view. Where do they find these people? Well, sometimes it's volunteer, right? Sometimes women sign up for this. A lot of times they sign up for it out of desperation, like this is the only path I have. But there is not a small connection, in other words, there's a big connection between the porn industry and the rise of sex trafficking, right? So it's very easy, very easy to blame those immoral porn distributors, right, and the immoral people who literally enslave girls and women to be in it. But that would not exist if there was not such a huge demand for it. Instead of blaming them, though there is certainly blame to go around, we should be blaming us who are consuming all this, right? If we weren't consuming it, they wouldn't be supplying it. They would find another way to make money. The demand is so astronomically huge that people will in literally enslave girls and women to a life of this until they become unattractive and they dump them and move on to somebody else, right? They will do that to satisfy our hunger for watching stuff on our, on our computer screens and our iPhones. It is, it is mind-boggling. So when we think that sitting in front of our computer and just engaging this is just about me, it's not affecting anybody else, that is so not true. That is so not true, okay? So these are hard realities. That this is not pleasant to talk about. Right? I mean, how many of these sins are actually really pleasant to talk about? They're not, right? We're talking about the dark, 
nasty stuff that's in the human heart, right, and how it gets expressed. So it's not fun, but we'll never, we'll never get past it if we don't actually talk about it, which is why I really am glad that you guys are talking about these, these sins, right? Because if we, don't, if we don't discuss it, if we don't discuss it, we'll never, we'll never get through it, we'll never grow through it, we'll never get past it, right? The only way to deal with this stuff is to bring it out into the light, say, let's talk, let's talk openly about this stuff, right? Um, so kind of what do we do about it, right? Right. Let's get rid of, as, as you guys have been talking about uh, Hebrews 12.1, you know, kind of get rid of the, the sin that so easily entangles us. Right? How do we do that? How do we do that in this case? Well, um, what's the way out? Well, I want to give you a, a few things. First is, God offers us windows of escape. Okay? In 1 Corinthians 10.13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out or a window of escape so that you can endure it. You don't, you don't have to indulge your lust. You don't have to. There are ways out. Um, a friend of mine, this is, this, is, this is more along the sexually immoral lines, but you can apply it to lust as well. So I got, had a friend call me a number of years ago. He was struggling in his relationship with his girlfriend, yeah, what's going on, Dan? He said, well, I just, you know, every time, you know, we're struggling sexually. And, 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 you know, they were just dating and they knew they shouldn't be involved sexually. He said, but, you know, we keep messing up. I'm like, okay, well, what situations do you find yourself in where you, where you find yourself messing up? And he said, well, it's usually when we're alone in her apartment or my apartment. And I'm like, well, maybe you shouldn't be alone with each other. Like, I wasn't really being, I wasn't joking. I was like, maybe you shouldn't be alone together. Like, like if that's the situation that you constantly find yourself in where you run into problems, don't, don't, don't be there. Like, meet each other, you know, at a restaurant. Like, like, hang out in a park. Like, do something where there's other people and you can still be, have intimate conversation. But if you continually find yourselves messing up when you're alone together, like, don't do that. Like, take the window of escape and go somewhere, go somewhere else. Like, go be with other, other friends. When you're tempted, God will give you, God will give you a way out. It's, it's not, it's not a fate accompli that just because you sense a lustful desire that you have to engage in it, right? There are ways to not engage in it. I would, I would encourage you to look for those. Put up boundaries in your life that act as windows of escape. So as an example, I mean, you know, we, when we engage in pornography, you know, with our computers, it's, it's got to be always in a quiet, alone space, Right? Um, you're not going to be sitting in the public library, you know, looking at porn on your computer. You're just not going to, uh, I hope not. No, you're just not going to be doing that, right? They don't have a porn section in the library at this point. You know, maybe someday that'll happen. But, um, like, like, when you're in public, you're not going to do that. For the same reason that when I was a kid, it was, like, it was nerve-wracking trying to find, you know, and get access to porn, right? So, so try to avoid that. Like, I don't like, and I never liked when my kids would take the computer and go into their room. It's like, no, 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 no. You sit at the kitchen table with that, right? I want to be able to, I want to be able to glance at a moment and just see what you're looking at. And even if it's not porn related, I mean, we put up filters in our internet and stuff, but it's like, I don't want you, I don't want you even looking at ESPN while you're supposed to be doing homework. Like, I want you focused on your homework, you know? And so, to, to look at your computer and stuff in public spaces. So, like, when I work at UConn, I'll very often sit in the, in the lounge, the, the, um, the, the lobby of the student union, where anybody could walk by 
and see what I'm working on. Right? That's a much safer environment for me to do my work, to open my computer, than in my bedroom at home when nobody's there. Does that make sense? So it's a choice we can make to, to live in ways that are safer than not. Okay, so that's number one. Seek windows of escape. Secondly is this, flee and pursue. Flee and pursue. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee your youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we do want to run away from those things, we, but we don't want to just run away aimlessly, right? It says, flee those youthful lusts, but pursue something. Pursue righteousness. Pursue the things that are, that are good and right. So just as, as an example, when you're starting to feel like, do I want to open up a window of porn? Um, take, when, you, know, you feel yourself starting to do that. Instead, type in the address for St. Paul's and listen to Ryan's latest sermon. Or call a friend or something different. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't just flee, but pursue something else. Like, as, as you're running away from something, turn towards something else. So don't just not click on the porn site, but actively do something else that's better. You know what I'm saying? Get your mind on something else. Get your mind on something else. Call your grandma, okay? That will help, <laughs> all right? That will get you out of that mindset in a hurry, okay? Um, so, so do something good and productive and right instead of engaging in that, okay? And then third is, it says walk in the Spirit. Uh, I already mentioned this passage, Galatians 5.16. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the lusts of the flesh. When we are engaged in close relationship with God, we tend to not indulge the desires of the flesh. Okay, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. At the end of the day, what that really means is about yielding and surrendering to Him. It's about asking Him to guide our decision-making it's about asking him to give us the strength to follow through on the wisdom that he gives us. It's about asking him to give us endurance, to follow it through long term. Right? It's a moment by moment trusting in him, God being engaged in communication with him. Right? If we're doing that, if we're in a prayerful mindset, you know, I mean, when was the last, I mean, this is, I don't really need a show of hands, but when was the last time you looked at porn while reading your Bible, right? It's like it just probably doesn't happen very much. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so when we walk with the Spirit, we tend to not gratify the desires of the flesh, the lusts of the flesh. Does that make sense? So the closer we walk with God, and it doesn't mean we're going to nail this perfectly, but, but it's, it's choices we make to move towards God and move away from the things that we know are not healthy for us. All right, I'm wrapping up. This is not a, this is not a fun topic. It's okay to laugh a little bit about it because, man, if we can't laugh at ourselves, you know, I don't know what we can do. But um, I want you to hear me when I say this. Um, this is not in any way meant to shame anybody, right? The Bible talks about how this is common to man. I mean, there is no sin that you have that other people haven't dealt with before especially this one, right? If this is an issue for you, welcome to the world of, you know, six billion people, right? This is, this is, this is so common. It was so common in the, in the old days because they wrote about it, right? This is, this is not a new issue for us. This is, 
this is normal, totally normal. And the great thing about the gospel is that it does free us from this shame. Now, you may experience a little bit of guilt, and I'm okay with that. Like, you know, it's like, it's like ooh, you know, because that guilt means like, you know, you sense that there's something wrong there, and I'm okay with that. Shame is a different thing, right? You should never feel shame because you're a sinner. We all are sinners. It's a normal human experience, right? It's, it's nothing to be shamed by, but we need to acknowledge that it's real, right? Like I said earlier, we can't get through this stuff if we don't, if we don't talk openly about it. Um, so, yeah, I guess, I guess I just want to finish up by saying it's, 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 it's important to come to terms with this in our lives. To hide it, to pretend that it's not an issue is a real, is a real problem, okay? That only makes it worse. Talk to somebody about this. I would encourage you to talk to Ryan or Keith about it. Um, I, I can tell you this for certainty, that if you have conversations with these guys about this, you will not feel shame for bringing it up. You will not, right? You'll be encouraged, you'll be challenged, You'll have people who want to walk through it with you. You'll have people who care about you and can say, yeah, you know, I get it, okay? And so this is true for any of the, any of the issues that we're talking about. It's not even just lust, just anything you're dealing with, right? Talk to these guys about it. Um, it keeping it to yourself, either pretending it's not real or being so shame, ashamed of it that you don't want anybody to know that this is something you deal with, that is not the way to grow through it and to get through it at all. Okay, only by bringing it up, bringing it into the light, um, can this be something you see victory over. And you can see victory over it. You can. God's power is immense. Um, I was just thinking about this yesterday. I, just, I was thinking about creation, just the world that he made. And I was just like, this place is unbelievable. Right? I mean, and I can't believe that God made this. And I think the God who made this, this place is more than capable of helping you deal with this issue. Um, but the channel through which he's really giving you to do this is his Holy Spirit and, and other people who you can talk to about it. Does that make sense? Okay. Not a fun topic. So excited I got to have it. Um, the great thing, I, I like to say this, the great thing about, about being a guest speaker, it's like being a substitute teacher, right? It's like I, I get to come in and mess up the lesson plan and then leave. And then Ryan has to deal with it after that. So I'm very glad for that. Um, let me pray for us. I, I think uh, I don't have a big, like, Shazam close. I just think, let's just be real about this with each other and let's encourage one another in this. And let's, like, okay, I'll just say this one last thing. If you're a spouse and you know that your spouse is struggling with this, it's, it's okay to feel hurt. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be upset. But don't shame that person, right? Don't, don't do that. Like, because it's, it's, it's the same issue like anything else, okay? And so we want to help our spouse grow through it as well. I want to add that. Does that make sense? Okay, I know it's hard, but let's do that. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. It, it is so challenging, God, to, to talk about this kind of issue. Oh, my goodness, it is so challenging because this feels like it gets to the heart of who we are as people. We're talking about the very uh, innermost desires that we have. We're talking about things that sure feel shameful, that sure feel shameful. And, Lord, we know that you don't want us to feel shame. Um, you want us to be real with our sin. You want us to be real about desiring to grow, and that's all good. Um, and I pray that anyone here who's dealing with this particular issue, Lord, would, would be free from the shame, but would be serious about wanting to grow through it. And so I pray that they would come to you with it, 
they would bring to you their struggles and that they would sit down and talk with somebody about it. And Lord, that the body of Christ would do what you call it to do to help one another, pray for one another that we may be healed, Lord, as James uh, 5 talks about. So help us to deal with this issue, Lord, to be truthful about it and to grow through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, guys.